All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are this evening. And uh, we'll move through as much as the Lord allows us tonight in this text. Philippians 3, 7 to 11 is our text. As you remember, Philippians 3 transitioned us to this new and deeper level of application. And that's saying something. Because we have already seen some very deep application in the book of Philippians. So this new transition here shows us a huge amount because in chapter 1 we saw this phenomenal letter to arguably the best New Testament church. That chapter of, first chapter of prayer and Paul's resolve in the gospel proclamation that no matter what happened, whether the gospel was proclaimed in, in integrity and truth or whether it was proclaimed in antagonism to him, he rejoiced that in any way Christ was proclaimed. And then his response to the gospel proclamation and his personal conviction for ministry and his exhortation to us for right living. And in like fashion, the powerful second chapter began with a call to unity and to humility. And in that unity and humility, there was it, it blossomed into the doctrine of the Son of God, doctrine into the two natures of Christ and, and how he was fully God and fully man. And we, we dove into some things that are absolutely beyond us. They are part of the mystery of our faith. And yet they are revealed in some of the most amazing ways in that section. And then that broke into a yet deeper application of our obedient living. So he started with an application of right living, went to a deeper level of obedient living, and now he has taken us in the third chapter to the result of the reality of our lives. And so that's what we see as we come into this third chapter. Last time, we saw that there was a dichotomy that came forward. And there was a parallel there of two very opposite considerations. The beginning in three chapter, one, or in chapter 3 and verse 1 was this encouragement that we were to have. Encouragement in Christ. And then yet immediately behind the encouragement was a warning. And so there is this dichotomy of these two elements of how we are to be rejoicing in Christ, but the warning that also is necessitated because of the world in which we live. And that dichotomy leads us to our text tonight, and I've titled our message for tonight, What Could You Consider Loss? What Could You Consider Loss? As we consider that text in Philippians 3, 7 to 11, I'm going to go back and, and read from verse 1 because this is all one unit. So follow along as I read our text and then we'll make some comments. Philippians 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith. In Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What could you consider loss? Paul's already introduced our topic to us back in chapter 1. In fact, look back at chapter 1 and verse 21 with me. Philippians 1 and verse 21. says back there in Philippians 1, 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So here we have this idea of loss and gain going on in living and dying. And we've, of course, discussed how that went forward. But Paul beautifully gives us an introduction to this major section all the way back in chapter 1. And that reminds us of the beauty of the grammar and writing styles of several of the New Testament books. And one particular that we've been spending quite a bit of time in over almost the last two years in the book of Hebrews. And how it did the very same thing and it would give us tidbits, just highlights of something that was coming forward several chapters before. And we see such power brought forward in the beauty of this writing as the Holy Spirit enlivens and brings the truth of God's word through these writers. Well, this takes us to our first point tonight, which I've titled, Loss Considered. Loss Considered, in verse 7. Paul begins verse 7 with this strong conjunction, but, and that contrasts all that he has just said about his contrast in the flesh. He's gone on and talked about if anybody has confidence in the flesh, I far more. And he starts listing this laundry list of all of his achievements as a Jew. And how he has done all of these things that would have shown him religious, would have shown him zealous. And what we see from all of those as he contrasts that right now with but, is that those were of no value. We, we often in our world see the same Religious efforts with no foundation behind them. So many people running so hard to do good things and not realizing that it is omitting the most important thing, which is a focus on Jesus Christ. And that we cannot do enough good things to get to heaven. That only 
through the salvation which comes from grace through faith alone can we be saved. So all of those things are of no value. And Paul says, but whatever things were gain to me. These things that he talks about include all of those things previously mentioned. And we talked about how all of those, really with the exception of circumcision on the eighth day, which he had no choice in at eight days old, were all things that he was working towards. He was working to be a Pharisee. He was working to establish himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was working to show himself one zealous for the law, therein persecuting the church. These were all his efforts. But now he openly professes that whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. They were of, of no value of him. Now that term gain in the beginning of verse 7 can also be translated as profit. That's profit with an F in the middle and not PH. Um, for those of you like me that aren't such great spellers, I wrote that the wrong way and went, wait a minute, something doesn't look right here. This is a term that is associated with business and it's talking about gaining something. It's talking about a financial benefit that is coming forward. So he says, whatever things were gain or were profit to me. This accounting term is also used not only for gain, but for the word loss. Both of them are in like fashion mathematical terms that relate to accounting. And although both accounting terms, the word loss really is the more important of the two. And we could, a definition of that word loss, it means to come to a worsened situation from a place of previous advantage. So it's that which we had gained and all of a sudden no longer were in possession of. This is where our whole idea of loss considered comes from. So if you've lost something that you previously earned, we might consider it like the lottery. Now, lottery is not something that's earned, but in almost all cases, those who win the lottery within a very short time are completely broke again. So that which they had gained, they have completely lost. And that is the idea, that there is something that has been achieved that no longer is in the possession of the one who has it. And so now he has counted or considered the previous gain as loss. And this is where, again, our point, loss considered, comes from. Only now, the reason is because of the sake of Christ. The previous gains were worldly gains. In Paul's case, all of his accomplishments in Judaism were worldly gains. He saw them as righteous. He saw them as religious efforts, which they were, but they weren't religion for the sake of Christ. They were religion for religion's sake. And so many are about these same tasks of no value. You know, as I, I think uh, of the whole context of this verse, whatever things were gained to me, these I have counted loss, it reminds me of, uh, of a popular Christian song called Knowing You, Jesus. And in, in one of the verses to that song, it says, All I once thought gain, I have now counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. 
You're my all. You're my best. You're my hope, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. You know, that's, that's the echo of our hearts, to recognize that it's all Christ. That there's nothing we have, there's nothing I can bring to this table. There is nothing of worth that I had when God saw me in my depravity, in my wickedness, and plucked me up out of the disgust of my sin to place me on the rock of Christ that was of value. None of that was of any good to me. And so it is with each of us. This is loss that is considered. And it draws us to consider the question of our title. What could you consider loss? Or what things are in your life that could be considered loss? Well, our second point takes us deeper in this consideration from loss considered to our second point, which I've titled losing to gain. Losing to gain in verses 8 to 11. Paul now adds to the first point of loss considered in verse 8, in the beginning of verse 8, where he says, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, not just the things that were previously gained, but now all things are considered loss. Paul is not just talking about his endeavors anymore or, or those items in verses 4 to 6, his accomplishments in Judaism, but now he is reflecting further on and talking about all things. That is the beginning of verse 7, whatever things were gained to me. Whatever things were gained to me are no longer of value. He counts all things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. All things are lost compared to Christ. That word knowing Christ is the word know that means experiential knowledge. It isn't just head knowledge. It isn't just having an understanding of Christ. But it is the experience of knowing Jesus Christ. This is the element that makes him understand that all else is lost. Paul says, knowing Christ is that which has surpassing value. The literal translation of that word surpassing value is beyond having anything. It is, it is something that is of greatest worth. And, and that is our understanding of Christ. He is of greatest worth. He is of the most delight in our lives. He is that which is of full eternal value. And without him we have nothing. We are empty and hopeless. But with him we have all things. It is knowing Jesus that counts most. But notice what he says there. It's not just knowing Jesus. It's knowing Jesus my Lord. It is a personal reflection on Christ. It is a personal understanding and commitment to a walk with him. Now, we know that the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 37, that no one confessing Jesus can do so except by the Spirit of God. So a right confession and proclamation of Jesus Christ comes from God's Spirit. 
But there is more that Paul is referencing here as he's elaborating on the fact that there is a possession which he has in an experiential fashion that reflects Christ in his life. And he is all about showing what that means. Because you see, the scripture tells us that many know and will make a statement about Christ. James 2 and verse 19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. And what he's saying there when you believe that God is one is that there is a triune God, there is Father, Son, and Spirit that are one entity. And you do well to know that. Then he goes on to say, the demons believe also and they shudder. The reality is, it is more than just a statement. It is a life that is lived. It is a possession. We can't simply be professors, as has often been said. We must be possessors. We must possess the truth of the knowledge of Christ. We must have his experience in us and understand that there is nothing that we have that is of gain with the exception of him. There's a couple of wonderful verses that I think reflect this so well. I'd like to, to read for you. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the text that Tom preached this past weekend. <clears throat> Although instead of his verses at the end of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what we must have in our hearts. We must have that light, the light that has shown us the face of Christ in God. That's what, that's what moves us. That's what helps us see, as Paul says, that all things are lost in the face of this. Because when Christ is in our hearts, it enlivens, it enlightens, it brings to life and brings a fire into our zeal and to our passion. And that is what we must have if we are to have an active and fervent walk with the Lord. Another wonderful text just a, a few chapters back in Galatians chapter 2. Very familiar section of scripture to us. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with flesh. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we are to be living sacrifices. Now he says here that we are to be crucified with Christ. Not literally put on the cross and put to death, but considered our old lives as dead, considering them as loss that we might live in light of what Christ has done. That Christ is the one who lives in us, that our lives are a living expression of Jesus Christ. That everywhere we go, we are his emissaries 
heard the most wonderful message by Mark Dever this past week, speaking about the importance of us going forth in the power of the Spirit to carry the gospel of Christ to the lost world. And a message which you have heard so many times, which I have spoken about to you before, and you've heard from many other men that have stood in this pulpit and that you've listened to around the world, that have said, there is only one thing, beloved, that we are on this earth to do ultimately. And it's to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything else is done better in heaven. My praise is done better in heaven. My voice will be perfect. Glad to have Peter here again so I can stand next to him and I'll sound really good this Sunday. My sin will be gone. I'll no longer be burdened each day to understand the ways in which I fall short and I'm an offense to my Savior. I will, I will see God face to face. I will no longer be burdened by this, you know, motorcycle accident on this knee from 30 some years ago my back won't be continuing to shrink and hurt i won't be going through all of the challenges that we all as we move past our 30s and 40s into the the golden years where we spend all of our gold to maintain our years um we'll be delighting in that'll be gone and i'm, I'm excited about that but god's left us here and that's because we have a job to do. And this is the job. That Christ may live in us and the life that I live in the flesh, I would live in the Son of God. That Christ has been lit up in my heart. And that I would go forth just glowing with the light of the Father. And that all would see and go, wow. You know, either that guy's on something or I want what he's got. Unfortunately, in our world, people might think both. Just coming from California, that's truly the case. But nonetheless, it's God who has given his son for us. And so we are to live. This is that element of loss. This is why we count all things loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Lord. You know, it, it always grabs me, and we always pay very close attention, particularly in the Old Testament, when we're reading details, and it often, uh, first place it really caught my attention was with Saul, as Saul is speaking with Samuel, and he says, pray to your God, and I'm like, whoa, your God? No, he needs to be your God. So he needs to be my God. He's a personal God. He is a relationship. He is an understanding. He is a new life. He is a new heart. He has taken our heart of stone out and given us a heart of flesh. He has put his law in our heart so that we can walk in it. That's my God. That's my relationship. That's not an arm's length your God. You know, Will you, Tom, will you go pray to your God for me? No. It's got to be our God. It's got to be a personal relationship. And it is then that we can understand this surpassing value greater than anything else. Nothing can compare. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater joy. What a delight it is to understand all Christ has shown us and the invigoration that's in us. And then Paul goes on to describe at the end of verse 8, losing to gain. 
And he says there at the end of verse 8, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. These all things are everything that he's previously discussed. He had, and if anyone has suffered loss, it has been this brother. As he was at the top of the religious food chain in Judaism. And came to know Christ and went down and down and down from a religious perspective. Suffered the loss of all is now, as he writes this letter, in jail. Wondering if he's ever going to see daylight again. As we've discussed, not a regular jail like we have today where you're getting your three squares and a couple hours out in the exercise yard and time with your homies throughout the day. No, this is a solitary confinement in stocks and chains where if your friends don't bring you food and feed you, you die. Because you sit there unable to be moved with all of the particulars and the bodily components of that that we don't need to talk about because they become very evident. And if your friends aren't there helping you, that's the existence that you have until you die, and they could care less. Once you die, they pull you out and they throw you in the rubbish heap. So that's the condition that Paul is in. He has truly suffered the loss of all things. And he is an enemy of the state in chains. And for all of the loss of these things, he counts that loss, he counts all of those things rubbish, garbage, waste. The Greek word is skubalon, and it often is translated in secular sources as manure or even dung. That's what Paul thinks of all of his accomplishments. They're garbage. There's no value to any of that. I would rather be in chains, literally sitting in my own self and away from all for Christ. And, and, and so he concludes that eighth verse. They're rubbish so that I may gain Christ. We understand the concept of how powerful this is. The things that, that we would see of lowest possible value, he, could, he compares those with everything he's accomplishment so that I may gain Christ. Well, this has to be our heart's desire. Every day, notice he says that I may gain Christ. Who's writing this? Paul is writing this. Authored a significant section of the New Testament that I may gain. Future tense. He's still looking to continue gaining Christ. We have to still continue to look to gain Christ every moment of every day. Continue to push forward to the cause. Continue to count as loss all things as we look to Christ Jesus. As we understand the blessing that exists in Him and Him alone. Turn with me, if you would, back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. This was going to be a good transition. It'll be a, a good conclusion for us. Romans 8 and verse 37. Paul here, as he writes, one of the greatest chapters 
in the book of Romans, one of the most powerful and victorious sections, brings us to this conclusion at the end of Romans 8. And I think it it perfectly exemplifies for us the same idea that we saw in Philippians with regards to gaining Christ and the future of him. Romans 8 and verse 37 reads, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul is looking forward to gaining. Because he understands that nothing can separate him from the love of God. He realizes that we are indeed more than conquerors. Not because of our accomplishments, but because of him who loved us. Because of Christ who has done all things for us. As Christ has loved us and gone to the cross on our behalf, how are we to respond? We are to rejoice. We are to glory. We are to count everything of this earth as lost because we have gained him. And yet we continue to strive so that I may gain him. There is more beloved for us to have of Christ. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Not death, height, depth, any created thing. But we must continue to strive to get more of him. We must continue to strive to know him and to make him known. That experiential knowledge must continue to exude in our hearts. We must continue to see Christ in his word and to change and ask ourselves, is there anything in my life which I could consider loss? As I thought about those words for that title, Immediately, I thought about, well, well, should I say, what would I consider loss? No, we all know that. Or what should I consider loss? Well, we all know there's more of that. But what could, what will, what, what will I consider in my life as loss for Christ? What will I reflect upon that Christ has done for me so that I may live to make him known? So that that experiential knowledge may radiate out of me and I can begin in a more powerful way to do that which he has left me here to do, to proclaim him. What a joy to understand. We'll come back next week and we'll talk a little bit more because there is another powerful section of this idea of losing to gain. So we'll pick that up, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But until then, I want to ask you to consider these components of Romans 8, of Galatians 2.20. How is Christ crucified in you? How have you crucified and put to death the flesh and the life that we live so that Christ may reign in all that we are?